A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. inches of snow and today it's 55 degrees which leads me to believe that it's getting closer to spring a time in which hope is unbound for every team in major league baseball and we're going to talk about a, a few of those teams that you know specifically the philadelphia phillies where hope might be the only thing they have that the outfield market bonds place in history and a few other things on this week's edition of the seventh inning stretch with myself and Armando. Armando, how are you? I'm good, man. Like you said, spring's around the corner, man. So you and me, I know we're very excited. Looking forward to that. Can't wait to see, you know, pitchers and catchers do their thing. All the young talent that's going, the non the non roster invitees. There's so much going on right now, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it, we'll definitely get more into you know some of the job competitions that'll occur as we get into spring because that's you know that's our busy season but uh it, this has been a winter that's just for baseball has felt so long to me just because of how much i've wanted to come back you know i i finally after a while i've had a taste of success with my team so eager to start seeing that again but uh let's jump into the outfield market the two big pieces that hadn't moved upton and cespedes both have now found spots uh, Justin Upton landing a huge deal from Detroit, six years, $137 million. What are your thoughts on that, Armando? Uh, I don't know if it's a move that I necessarily like because Justin Upton is so mercurial. He's so hot and so cold. But when he's hot, you know that he's going to have a good year like he did you know, in Arizona a few times. And he has such massive power. He's a good defender. Justin Upton's a player I like, but that price just seems a little excessive for me. I know that's what the market's asking for, but you're going to get at least two, three, four bad seasons out of that deal. Yeah, I guess the one thing going for him is he still hasn't hit 30 yet, so the deal will end at, at, at age 34 for him. So you're not talking about – and you're talking about a corner outfielder too, so you're not talking about a center fielder where his legs are going to go at 32. But like you said, so mercurial, so hot and cold. There's a few things from his game now that are pretty much all but gone. I don't think he's much of a stolen base threat anymore. But he's still a middle-of-the-order bat. Uh, the one thing I worried about with that team now is going to be the handedness between him and Cabrera as your big power threats. I'm still not 100% on board on J.D. Martinez, even though I should be, because he's now shown over the course of the last 18 months that he is a very good power hitter. 
Uh, that Detroit team, though, you know, bringing in Zimmerman, bringing in Upton, both both solid moves. Definitely trying to prolong their window as they see that they can still win now. Yeah, I mean, they they are moves to prolong that window, but in all honesty, I think they're just desperation moves because. There, how, how much do you really expect them to help this team? This team has so many holes and so many... They really need to have tremendous seasons to make these moves seem worthwhile, in my opinion. See, I just don't like the way the team is constructed in general because it seems like a team that's built to win it seven or eight years ago when power was the, was the guiding principle behind how you win in baseball. They don't pitch particularly well outside Zimmerman, who... Pitched well in the in the National League, but there's there's the National League to American League adjustment, so he's good for an extra half run a game. Uh, good park for him to pitch in, but I, I like you, I just don't see it. I understand why they're in win now mode. Mike Illich, their owner's eighty six, doesn't know how much longer he you know you don't know how much longer he's gonna be alive for, so he wants to see a title. No, for sure. And, I'm, and the city of Detroit has been very hungry for that title. They're a good baseball town. When the Tigers are good, that city and that stadium are rocking. And, and they, it's good for baseball when the Tigers are good, too. You know, the old days with Alan Trammell and, 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 and these older teams, old, you know, Tiger Stadium. Such, you know, lore about it and such, like, it's baseball legend there, man. And, and, and the Tigers are one of those teams that... They are a good, you know, they're a great franchise in baseball. So to see them in this state isn't that great. I know they've struggled a lot, you know, especially in our lifetime. But, you know, when they were hot these last few years, it was good to see them. It was good to see that city buzzing, especially Detroit, who's had financial, you know, hardships and stuff. So I don't know, man. I just, like you, I think we're in agreement that these moves aren't maybe the smartest moves, but we can see why they're being done. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that you have to think about there, and no team's going to go into a season just saying, uh, you know, when, the, when they're paying that much money, saying, we're, we're going to give up on this season. But they are blocked by the fact that the Indians will be probably very good, and the Royals are the Royals. No, absolutely. And actually, on, on a team that's not making too many moves, this is a question. It's totally going to be off topic, because we're going to go back to Cespedes right now. I know that. But the Yanks, they're not spending too much money, man. This is the first time... I think since the early 80s that the Yankees haven't signed a single free agent. That's what I'm saying. That Bryce Harper money, they got to stack those chips. Yeah, plus, you know what? Maybe they're finally learning. I don't think so, Tim. Uh, I don't think so either. <laughs> they the Yankees, man. They're still Steinbrenner's in charge. Yeah, and they did add uh, Chapman, but they haven't spent money. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It and there's is- nothing... There's nothing to spend it on anymore. No, that's true. I mean, it's true. And they're so handcuffed with some of the contracts that they have now. It's just tough, but it's really shocking because, I mean, in our lifetime, we really haven't seen this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and even without spending a single dollar, they're still the second highest payroll of baseball. Yeah, well, behind my Dodgers who love to throw away money. But let's just move on there. I don't want to talk about that right now. We're in a better yeah. place right now. Let's talk about Yo and his Espedes. Uh We got a question from my brother. And uh, he wants to know if uh, you yo leave that this is going to be enough to get you guys over the hump. I know you had something to do with this contract getting signed. So first off, let's tell the people the story on how you influenced this move. So a few weeks, my, my, my family, where I grew up, is on the North Shore of Long Island. The, the Wilpons live around there. There's uh, my, my brother's my brother's a year younger than me. His birthday was in the beginning. Of Jan- it was in mid-January. We went out to dinner, uh, me, my brother, my sister-in-law, my parents, at a steakhouse on Long Island. And 
We just noticed sitting down, and this is uh, to, to set a little bit of the scene. This is the night that the Mets, that's the the, uh, the news broke that Cespedes had agreed to come back. Over the course over the course of a few days, there was a bit of a Twitter shitstorm and a social media shitstorm with the Mets because the the news had leaked that the Nats were had offered him a hundred million over five, and the, the the assumption was the Mets won't go that far. It would be then the Nats effectively taking away Murph, your postseason hero, Cespedes, the guy who carried your offense in the second half of the season, to your arch rival, a team that you know, you know you guys really had to work hard to overtake. That didn't sit well with Mets fans. There's you know ten to there's about the last eight years of the of the Mets have been they haven't spent. This entire run into the postseason this year, they still had the 23rd highest payroll in baseball. The Wilpons take a lot of flack because of the fact that, A, they operate the team like a small market, and the and they've been constrained by Bernie the, the effects of Bernie Madoff. So at the table right next to me in a steakhouse, the night that this is happening after this shits, during this whole media shitstorm, is none other than Fred's Mets majority owner, Fred Wilpon. I spent the entire meal shooting Fred Wilpon dirty looks. <laughs> being, you know, like, I was in a, it's a nice place, so I couldn't be menacing. Oh, you were sending me menacing tweets. I was sending. There Armando was photos menacing. and steak knives. Let's be honest here. Yes, there were. I was sending Armando Armando some very very menacing messages. He, he had to have been questioning my sanity, but I think at this point he gets it, so... I had our lawyers on the phone, man. Don't you worry. He, he did, yeah. We, we, we retained good counsel. Uh, you know, we got OJ's guys. But, uh, <laughs> the ones that are still alive. The ones that are still alive. Barry, Barry Sheck, I think, uh, will get me off on the DNA point of this. But during one point in the meal, Fred gets up to take a phone call, and I think, you know... Several other people in the restaurant had the same idea of basically staring at him and judging his judging his look when he got back in the room. It was deadpan, leaving me to think he just got the news that Yoannis is signing with the Nats and forcing me while I'm at a table right next to the Mets owner during a, during a family meal to sit there and check Twitter obsessively <laughs> just to make sure that you know I'm not seeing like a tweet from Nats GM Mike Rizzo being like, "Got yo." <laughs> oh man i felt for you that day yeah i felt for so, you. I was on pins and needles for you man i was like oh he's gonna be it's like suicide watch yeah i but but thankfully all things end well the mets signed cespedes and then i was stuck indoors for the next day because of a 30 inch snowstorm hey man you can't win them all you can't yeah. win them all i, I would have felt really bad for my girlfriend if Oh. The Nationals had signed Cespedes, and we were both just, like, stuck here. Oh, she no she would have been dealing with me moping tremendously. No kidding, man. But, yeah, man, do you think that this is enough to get you guys where you were last year? and Or or it's enough to give you guys a shot? It's enough to give us a shot. I think the Mets are clear favorites in the NL East now. Okay, okay. Which, I, they, they are. Washington's done nothing to add to their team this year. Um, the Marlins are going to be, they'll improve. I think the Marlins will be okay, but still, I think they're roughly, you know, one of those teams that a good season for them will be finishing 500 and a bad season will be 70 wins. But I think that's, and then the Braves, I think are going to be the worst team in baseball this year. The Phillies were the worst team in baseball last year. So I think that the Mets, you know, 
I don't take anything for granted because I've been down this road before with, uh, you know, disastrous results. But I think that the Mets are very well positioned uh, to, you know, take that step to play well with this target on their back as the NL champs and have a, have a, they have a legitimate shot of making some noise and playing uh, some serious October baseball. No, man, I tend to agree with that. I think we've said this many times on this podcast, man. As long as you have that stable of arms, you're in good shape. Yeah, and you can't, and that's the thing. You can't take anything ever for granted because baseball, unlike any other sport, is really just about, you know, it, it, it's not like football where it's the one-and-done concept. It's not like going to the Champions League where, you know, you have to be the better team over two ties and it's really tactical Hockey, you know, the hot goaltender, but, you know, the better teams tend to win. Same thing happens with basketball. If you have the best player, you win. Baseball is a sport where if your team gets hot at the right time, the whole team, flukily, anything can happen. Look at the 2006 cards. 83 and 79, make a run, win a World Series. You know, a team that, that they didn't even have, I think they had the seventh best record in the National League that year. Oh, no, man. We see this pretty often. Teams come out of nowhere. The Rockies not too long ago. The Astros not too long ago. These teams are coming out of nowhere. And that, that, that's the beauty of baseball. Like you said, man, you just got to get hot. And, and if you get hot and you get into the playoffs, you got a chance to dance, man. Yeah. yeah. But over 162 games, the best teams will get to the postseason. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, no, no. That's the that's the that's the key. You get in the race. Once you're in the race, then it, all, all bets are off for sure. Yeah, and and you know there are certain things. Having great pitching certainly helps because it gets colder. You can't hit, but I think Cespedes is the final piece that puts the Mets at least over the top in the division. That's as far as I'm willing to go with it because, to be perfectly honest, the Cubs scare me. No, the Cubs are scary as a whole, for sure. What they're building there, and they're not even done. You know, they're just going to continue to build over the next couple of years. So the Cubs are definitely building something very scary. And and yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you guys. For you guys, it's nice that you guys are back. You guys are competing. You guys are young enough and now experienced enough to to be able to continue to grow. Cespedes is the player. We haven't seen this type of intent from you guys in a while to keep one of your own. Even though I say that loosely because you only had him as a rental last year, but now he's one of your own, and he became you know some sort of kind of a folk hero for you guys at the end of last year so he is something that was important for you guys to keep and i'm i'm happy for you and mets fans everywhere that you guys were able to do that yeah and the other interesting thing and i want to make a point about the nats after this is leaving money on the table now granted he left he's leaving money on the table but he's also it's a it's effectively it's a three-year 75 million dollar deal with a one-year opt-out and opt-outs are becoming so common in, in, in these contracts nowadays but Effectively, the Mets have him on a contract here because if he if he plays well, he's exercising that opt out. Right, right, for sure. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, especially because you know his the market there for him maybe has been diminished this year just because of the just because of Hayward and Upton. But next year's free agents class is bad. So Cespedes, if he opts out after having a good year, will will certainly be the best player in that class. And to be perfectly honest, for this one year, he's getting $27.5 million. It's the highest average annual value ever. It's the highest single-year contract ever paid to, paid to an outfielder. So even though he left money on the table in Washington, he's still coming out ahead. Yeah, man, that's a good move. That's a good move for him because, like you said, if he has a good year, he's getting that money. And if he doesn't, then he can get a longer deal somewhere and make sure he's a little bit more stable if that happens. So it is what it is. But – all right, but I want to ask you a little bit something about NL East, the Phillies. 
We got a question from our buddy Joseph Connors. He wants to know what your thoughts are on the offseason so far, and they got the number one pick because, like you said, they were the worst team in baseball last year. What, are your, what, what do you think they do with that pick? But before that, what do you like in their offseason so far? I, I, I really like the, the Ken Giles trade. I understand that Ken Giles is a young, homegrown, fireballing closer, which every team in baseball could use a good closer. But if you have more pressing needs, which the Phillies do, they have a lot of pressing needs. Ruben Amaro destroyed ten, destroyed a lot of years of that franchise by bad money after bad and just trading away prospects, trading away a ton to get Oswalt, trading away a ton to get Pence, trading away a ton to get Halliday. Well, it, it, trades of that magnitude over and over again, and then consistently using a lot of money to just go re-sign free agents or go sign the best player on the market – you know, you lose your first round picks for those. It's left the cupboard bare there. If you're bad, realistically, the best thing you can do is just stockpile as many prospects as possible. They got five players in this trade for Giles, one of whom, Mark Appel, is a former number one overall pick with Houston, who has been, he's had a checkered minor league career. The projections of where he was versus where he is now haven't been met, but he's young enough as to where he can write the ship. They got a receiver. They got another pitcher there, Vincent Velasquez, who is a real hard thrower. Now, whether or not he, he's made one major league appearance, he went five scoreless in his debut. Oh, he's made a few, but he made five scoreless in his debut. There's talent there. What they need to do, and then three other players who are you know going to be fringier players or too far away from the majors to project. That's what you need to do. You need to keep just putting talent into the system. There's a lot there also if you then look with Aaron Nola, who had, you know, a decent who's who's a decent pitcher who, you know, could work out to be a major league mid rotation player. Michael Franco, who I think is gonna be a very good player. You have JP Crawford, a, a, you know, a prospect shortstop who also looks like he's gonna be a very good player. So I think the Phils are making the right moves, which is just restock that system. You're years away from competing. No, I, I tend to agree with you. I think they were very smart on how they approached Houston for the players that they did. Vincent Velasquez, like you said, is a hard-throwing young man who who, who shows a lot of quality. And, and if he could stay consistent, then that's a good move. But like you said, Mark Appel, I've seen him here at Stanford in the Pac-12, and he was quality then. And, and I'm surprised it's taken him this long to get to, to, to the majors. Um, but like Zach Lee in the Dodgers organization, he just hasn't come around for whatever reason but I do think he's young enough like you said baseball is not a game where you know you're in your prime at 19 20 21 usually so 24 25 26 year old he still has many of years you know what I mean so I think Marco Pell is definitely the coup in this move yeah and the other thing too is and this is something that people often lose especially now with the whole focus on oh this guy throws 97 it's not necessarily sometimes how hard you throw because all major league hitters getting to the majors, you can hit a fastball. That's the, that's the core thing that every major league hitter can do. It's about knowing how to pitch. Absolutely. And, it's, it's, and that's the thing that takes time. Right. You got to mature. You got to learn how to locate. You got to repeat the delivery. There's a lot of things mechanically in pitching that goes wrong. And if you're young, they can go wrong pretty often. But once you learn how to pitch, you learn how to hit your spots, you learn how to change speeds, velocity changes, eyesight, everything can change in baseball. And that's what's most important. And I think we've seen that through time. And I think we're seeing young pitchers pick that up faster and faster, but some just need a little more time than others. Yeah. And the other thing too with the fills is and this is going to get into kind of the draft aspect of it. 
they're not going to be good again this year. They're going to lose 80, 89 to 97 games. They are. They're young. There's The rotation is going to be not good. The bullpen's going to be even worse. And they're not going to score a ton of runs. But they're going to get play, they're going to get young players experience and they're and and they're going to be ridding themselves finally after this year of Ryan Howard and his awful contract. So it's a it's a positive for them that they're going to get experience and they're going to finish with a high draft pick into next year too. So they're going to also get some top end talent in the draft. There's a lot of ways in which they're going to replenish the system. No, for sure and for me I think uh what's important there is uh like you said um they got, they're going to continue to have good draft picks. And, and it's strange when you see a team, like you said, is going to lose so many games, but they're headed in the right direction. It's not very common to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing of the, comp, the, the argument about tanking. Like in baseball, I don't, I don't really think that the concept of tanking really kind of exists just because the, the way in which the sport works is, there's no like surefire. I tank and I get this draft pick who's a sure thing. Like there's no LeBron James coming out in the in the major league draft. The only sure thing I think I've ever seen in the draft was Bryce Harper. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And before that, maybe Ken Griffey Jr. in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody. Mike Trout was taken number two overall, but nobody could picture that this was going to happen. No, Stras- Strasburg was mega hyped, and you know what? He's he hasn't lived up to it. No, for sure. And Strasburg though wasn't ever talkative in high school. Strasburg didn't make his name until he got to San Diego State, so he was kind of a late bloomer. Yeah, and going and then going into the draft because it does sell perfectly. The Phillies have. I, I don't. I, I'm not going to pro- profess myself to be uh, at this point in December too well versed on the guys who are going to go early in the draft just because the major league baseball draft is in June, a lot changes between now and then, especially with the college season and how college players are going to perform, especially in the college world series. But the Phillies have the flexibility to basically go and take someone out of high school, right? If the best player in the draft and the best talent is in high school, they're under no pressure to find someone who can contribute, you know, at the end of next season. And we're starting to see it more and more with guys like Schwarber and Conforto, guys who are, you know, less than a year out of college getting to the bigs. That's absolutely true. I think a lot to do with that recently, especially is the change of the bats in, in the college game. Have they, The pop has died down a little and they're le- learning to use and square up balls better. So I think hitters are progressing better. And I think, you know, power arms are, are coming up more. So we're seeing the human fucking athlete develop more so we're seeing these power arms we're seeing these young hitters get better um like you said as far as the draft is concerned for the phillies i would assume they'd take a young a young uh high school pitcher uh jason groom's a young high school pitcher he's probably number one prospect uh, to come out for for this draft, uh, you know he he's a left handed arm. He's got power stuff. He's good. Uh, you know he might want to polish his stuff a little better. And if they want to get a little bit more polished, then they can get you know maybe somebody from like Florida. They got AJ Puke and he's okay. He's got good stuff. His stuff and isn't as good as Grooms, but he has more control and he's already more polished. So I think it just depends where you want to go. But for sure, I would expect them to go and get a, a good arm. Well, the other thing about Grooms too that actually works out for Philadelphia is from a PR perspective, he's from Barnegat, New Jersey, South Jersey. That's Philly's territory. I'm going to assume he's a Phillies fan, and that's always great for to you know bring the fan base back, especially because when the Phillies were good over the course of that run from 2007 to about 2011, CBP was sold out every night. It's a good baseball town. 
do I like the team or the fans? Not particularly, but that's my, you know, that's, that's an NL East rivalry. But it's a good, it's a good baseball city and people will go to games and having a hometown, having a hometown player on your team really energizes the fan base. No, that's very true, man. Nothing, nothing that fans want to see more than a local kid, somebody that, you know, grew up in your area and, and that, you know, loves the club and the, and the team as much as you do, um, really out there doing what they do for the team. Like, it's like you guys and Steven Matz, man. That guy has a little bit more meaning to you guys because he loves the Mets. Yeah, absolutely. I, and there's something about that. Like every everybody who's ever played baseball growing up has that, you know, goes out in their backyard, tosses a ball to himself, and, you know, it's 3-2, bottom of the ninth, the bases are loaded, and you hit a World Series hit winning home run invariably against the Yankees because, if you know, you should always want to beat the Yankees. <laughs> oh, that doesn't shock me whatsoever from you. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's one of the it's 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 great to see, and I think there's upside in the Phils, but it's gonna be it's gonna be in the order of two or three years before they compete again. They're, what they're going through right now is what the Mets went through, and I think also is also what the Dodgers went through in around the 2007 to 2010 period. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I could see that. That's a very good comparison, man. And and uh, like I said, for us, I'm not a big fan of the Phillies. They knocked us out of the playoffs many times, NLCS in recent memory. But I do think they're heading in the right direction. And and I think they needed the purge that they had, and they're ready to rebuild. And like you said, they're a few years away, but at least they're headed in the right direction. And going back to the Philadelphia Phillies and also to a lesser extent the Dodgers and the Mets, but we're not only talking about the Mets, Phillies, and Dodgers on this podcast. This is more to talk about the the furor that was around middle infielder protection in the wake of the Utley into Tejada slide and how that just kind of died and what it speaks to about the baseball consciousness. I mean, I remember for the few days afterwards, Chase Utley was seen as the poster, the poster child for all that's wrong with the game and not ensuring the safety of middle infielders in the same way they were catchers. I heard things saying, like, if it was Buster Posey on second base getting slid into, they'd have the Buster Posey rule, like they do behind the plate immediately in place. Do you, do you find it at all shocking that, nothing, that you know, Joe Torre and the powers that be in the Disciplinary Committee of Baseball haven't done anything to address this? Uh, I do a little bit. I think they're afraid of the uproar that they got with the um, Buster Posey rule, how, you know, people were so set in their ways and they don't want to see things change and whatever. Um, I don't think it's right. I think Chase Udley was in the wrong and it was something that's dangerous in the game of baseball and doesn't need to happen. When a middle infielder has his back to you, you don't need to go in that high or that late per se. I understand what was going on as a baseball player. You're in the moment and you're trying to win such an important game for your ball club. I can see why he did what he did. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it excusable. And I do think that he should either be suspended or fined, if not both. Um, I'm a little shocked that nothing has happened, but at the same time, I'm not totally fucking dumbfounded because we've seen, you know, baseball and other, you know, things brush things under the rug in order to not to avoid a hoopla and stuff. And we saw that with Buster Posey. I think they're just trying to avoid that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things, though, where baseball's official rules, which are if you've ever read the official rules of baseball, they're very long, they're very dryly worded, they're quite contradictory. Quite, yeah. And they're extremely contradictory because you have the concept of the interference, of the interference rule, which I think almost, I think to a certain level, certain levels, all takeout slides flirt with the interference rule. But I think there needs to be a clear distinction between what you can do that's a legal takeout slide to break up a double play and what's interference. 
because the takeout slide is one of those unwritten things in baseball. It's unwritten rules at times just confound me. But, you, you know, you should have to hit the ground first. You should have to be making an attempt to at least get the bag. You should, if you, the second you head out of the baseline in the attempt to, to uh, take out slide someone, I think it should automatically be given the double play. I mean, I, I can't disagree with that, man. I mean, but they has to be black and white. It has to be black and white. The more gray area you leave, that's the problem with it now. There's just so much fucking gray area, and it's all whatever the umpire's decision may is, what what he saw, what he didn't see. Everything is so subjective, and I think it just has to be more black and white, and I think that has to be a lot with these rules in baseball. There's not enough black and white sometimes. Yeah, well, that's also – and that's the funny thing is anything at second base where you're talking – or anything in interference is when you're talking a judgment call. So there's only two true judgment calls in baseball, fair, uh, strikes and balls, and then interference, right? Those are the only things that you can basically put to that. Sure, umpires miss calls, but that's just human error. But I think the interference calls need to be significantly more clear, right? What, what, what's considered a, a, an illegal takeout slide? Like I said, leaving the base path. The problem there is the base path's open for interpretation. No, for sure, man. And that's the thing. It's just totally up to interpretation. If if, if base runner slides and let's say he's he's taller than an average person, if he slides and he can reach the base, he's still fucking damn near in center field. You know what I mean, dude? Because he can reach that far. So when do you draw the line to make it safe for a middle infielder to turn a double play is the question. And I don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just think baseball's going to take an action, but I, I think the one thing they need to do is just protect people because you should never have your leg broken because someone never hit the ground before hitting you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. I was shocked when it happened. I'm shocked still now that nothing's happened because of it. You know, nobody should be injured under those circumstances, especially in such a big series for both teams. You know, that shouldn't have happened to Tejada, and it it should never happen to anybody. No. And and the one thing that's going to be really annoying from this now is everybody's going to sit there and call takeout slides dirty plays. They're not. It's a heady heady base running play. But... It's got to be done right. Absolutely. It's, it's part of the game. It always has been. It should always be. I totally agree with that. But there has to be a smarter, safer way. And if you still decide to go in there like Chase Utley, then you should be reprimanded. Absolutely. And, and, you know, before we get to the, the Bonds place in history to answer oh, uh, Chris Eric, I know, I know you've been waiting down. There is one other thing I want to bring up that actually got some talk that I forgot about. Uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, recently said that. That the- still sounds weird to me. I know. The National League could adopt the DH, and then he kind of backtracked saying that they wouldn't. Um, what do you think about the National League adopting the DH? I think they want it to happen. I don't think it will ever happen. Because there's too many people like you and me, probably, that are baseball purists and don't want to see that. In fact, I would rather see the American League get their pitchers to hit than the other way around. Though that's never going to happen anymore because the DH is so ingrained in American League baseball. And in baseball in general, I mean, there's players now that should be in the Hall of Fame as designated hitters. You know, Harold Baines, Edgar Martinez, Big Poppy should be there when he gets there. Uh, so it's kind of hard to say that, right? But I would, if, if there was a change to be made, I'd rather the AL go back to uh, how baseball should be played. Yeah, and I mean, it would be it would be certainly interesting to see uh, how the makeups of teams change because you got to figure there's about 15 jobs created in the AL for relief pitchers just because teams can carry a shorter bench. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and, and but but for me, if they do make a rule change, you already put the 15 National League teams at a disadvantage because they're not set up that way. You know what I mean? And and. 
unless you're going to say in five years this rule's taking effect and give people enough time to do that, it's just really hard because you would be putting the National League at a disadvantage, at least their lineup would be. Yeah, I also think it would do something screwy to the economics of baseball because then you have – I mean there are some contracts right now that I – and I know I harp on around the length of contracts and how bad some of them are at the end. But a guy like Joey Votto who signed from now until you know the rapture is uh, – <laughs> he, he's a guy who's going to – you know he's a guy who would be a prime DH candidate later on in his career. And, and it would enhance his value to every team in baseball except for the ones that, you know, don't want to pay a salary, hint, hint, the one he's on. But I, I think it would just, I think, I think it would just do strange things also to the economics of baseball. I think it would really start to overvalue hitting again. And I think we, and, and I think it would definitely put the death knell on ever seeing a guy win 200 games in his career. Like 300, we're never seeing another 300 game winner. If the DH comes to the NL, we're never seeing another 200 game winner. No, I totally, totally agree with that, man. I totally agree with that. That's one of those numbers that's gonna not ever get good to be reached. It's already pretty hard to fathom it now. Like, there's some. It's it's hard to see almost anybody getting there now. Yeah, I mean, nobody wins twenty games in a season anymore. Like one or two guys per season will win twenty games. Yeah, Arietta and Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, and Keuchel get it this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're listening, you're listening to. The Anfield Index Podcast Channel. All right, hit me with this Bonds question. I know you've been dying all day. Just give it all to right. me. Friend of the pod, Chris Erickson, wanted to know uh, where we put Barry Bonds, his place in history. And, you know, specifically, where do we rank him all time? Now, it's a very complex question because of the fact that, A, you have to break out pre and post-2000, 2000 being the arbitrary point at which his, uh, his forehead expanded exponentially. This, po- this podcast is actually in orbit of his 2008. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And there's also the other thing to weigh, which is a few things. Two things, actually, specifically that I'm going to mention. One... One of the co-hosts of this show is biased against him. Yours? Hint, not mine. Hmm. And the fact that he's a surly dick. Oh, he's a dick. Yeah. Undoubtedly, dick. Um, yeah. Okay. Damn you, Chris. First off, Barry Bonds, uh, all-time. If you, if you take it as the numbers-based only, best all-time. Um... Uh, if you if you want to break it down from pre two thousand post two thousand pre two thousand Barry Bonds was one of the most impressive baseball players I have ever seen in my life. One of the people that I despise more than anything for someone that I've never met in my life. Yeah, um, but you can't deny it. Before two thousand, the man had I don't know multiple MVPs, golden gloves, silver sluggers. It was perennial for him in his time in Pittsburgh and his early time in San Francisco. Those gold gloves and those silver sluggers were automatic. He was in the All-Star game all the time. And like I said, he's had multiple MVPs. He 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 won let's see, he won it in nineteen ninety. He won it in ninety two for the Pirates. And then when he moved to San Francisco in his first year in ninety three, he won the MVP. So we're talking about three MVPs in a four year span, and he ended up second in the year he didn't win. So we're really talking about a giant of the game of baseball. If it wasn't for him being a dick and him cheating his life away, which is 
undoubted what happened. Um, I don't know. Uh, would I put him in the hall? It's hard to argue against it. I think we've had this conversation a lot, you and me, Justin, about the Hall of Fame and steroids and how we don't give a shit anymore. We're over it. And uh, they deserve to be in. If, if we're going to put the pitchers in in that era and not question them other than Clemens, then we have to put them all in. So, yeah, for you, Chris, I'll tell you, Barry Bond is probably the best player I've seen play in my lifetime. And I hate saying that so much. So, fuck. Thanks, Chris. I, I don't think he's the best player I've seen in my lifetime. I think he's the second best. Are you going to go with Junior? Yeah, I think Junior is better. And, and, and the factors that, that sway me towards Junior are played a longer time at a premium defensive position. Bonds, you know, he played most of his career as a left fielder. fielder. Yes, sir. Quarter outfielder. Did not play much. He played center field a little bit early in his career, but that was mainly due to the fact that Andy Van Slyke and Bobby Bonilla were not the most mobile outfielders possible. By the way, side note, early 90s Pirates outfields, arguably the best ever. Ever, ever yeah. But but let me ask you this: Are you t- when you when you're comparing him to Junior here? Are you taking his late Giants career into account as well? His MVPs there, the fact that he got intentionally walked 120 fucking times in 2004. Are you taking those things into account? I'm, I'm not because I'm trying to isolate it solely to when I can assume a natural level talent. Field. Natural talent. Yeah, I'll, yeah. When I can assume a level playing field, right? So a Junior Junior is the better defensive player. He had more power. Not as good a base runner. Um, and not as good a hitter for average, but okay. I'll take the, I'll take the power in defense considering the fact that the, the trade-offs in these other areas are negligible, but it's playing the premium position that really puts it over the top for me. So Bonds is definitely, I think the second best player I've ever seen junior being the first, uh, what I think, and then I'm, I would try to do some comparisons and th- thoughts about, you know, and, and I hate cross-generational baseball comparisons just because of the inherent differences in the game. Uh, you know, if you talk, if you start talking about the '60s, you're talking about the fact that the mound was way higher, so numbers were depressed. So a guy like a man, a guy like Mickey Mantle, a guy like Willie Mays, a guy like Hank Aaron would come into the conversation as you know competitive, you know, guys who you'd think of in that same breath solely because of the fact that they were all outfielders, they were all power speed threats. Aaron less a speed threat, but they're all power power threats, and they were also all you know the best players at their time. No, I mean it's hard to argue that man. But if, if we're gonna take the whole twenty-two year into account, let me just read some of these numbers for you: two thousand two hundred twenty-seven runs, two thousand nine hundred thirty-five hits, so just shy of three thousand hits, six hundred doubles, seventy-seven triples, seven hundred sixty-two home runs, four shy of two thousand RBIs, and five hundred stolen bases. It's hard to argue that, man. And his walks, his walks is what is ridiculous. I know most of these walks happened in San Francisco after post-2000 or whatever. But the man had 2,558 intentional, I mean, walks in his career, 688 of those intentional. 688 intentional walks in your career. That's absurd, man. Absurd. Yeah, and those three numbers, the home run number, the walks number, and the intentional walks number are all major league records. Yeah, and, and obviously they're all there for the reason that he cheated and that, that they're tainted for whatever reason, right? But like we've been talking about, Justin, if, if if everyone's doing it, then how can we really hold him on a different level? How can we say that, well, it's cool for everybody else, but sorry, Barry. I can't believe I'm fucking defending Barry Bonds. Jesus. I know. It's it's it's, it's weird. I, I, I'm not sure that it makes me feel comfortable. I don't like this conversation. No, but I, I would say that Barry – but if, if I have to think then within the annals of what I know from Major League Baseball – Barry Bonds fits into a category with Babe Ruth, 
Willie Mays. And that's it. And that's it. That's it. The stratosphere of baseball, my friend. Yeah, he, he is in this. The he, only thing that separates him from those two is, and I'm, it's not like taking the whole steroid thing aside, is the fact that both of those guys won titles. Yeah, won titles. Um, and uh, I would say that they were more well-liked in the game. Uh, and that public perception, I think, does a lot. I think if Barry Bonds was a more likable figure, this conversation wouldn't be as as hostile as it is between people, or even the Hall of Fame conversation wouldn't be so so ugly. I think if he was a nicer person, this would be easier for people to to swallow and accept. Yeah, I mean, he was he was uh, just a dick. Yeah. Like that's the only word I can use to describe him. Well, him he and Clemens was... are in the same boat, and that's why they're still in the same fucking boat. Yeah. Well, to be perfectly fair, I find Clemens to be much bigger of a dick than Pia- than uh, the Bonds. And that's saying something, right? I mean, yeah. that's say- they're also in the dick stratosphere of baseball. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see where you'd actually consider to have Roger Clemens in the all-time pitchers, too. He's not I on my list. He's not on my he's, fucking list. He's, he's not on mine, either. He, him, him, it's too visceral a hatred to want to give him any compliments. He's just not on my list because I'm, I, I've, I've seen better since, like... <laughs> I, yeah. he, his gimmick was he threw hard, and now everybody fucking throws ninety seven. So it's like, cool, Roger, cool. Yeah, but Bond, I mean, but if you think about Bonds, I also want to put it into the. I was thinking and going as as a, a tangent off this conversation. I was trying to think about the players from his generation you could compare him to, besides Junior, because the reality is there were some great power hitting outfielders in his time that I don't necessarily think get their due. No, so, I, I could see that. So, like, one I was thinking about, Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield, good shout. Good shout. Love Gary. Great player. Manny Ramirez. Oh. Manny, gets, Manny, Manny gets his due. Manny's Anybody says anything bad about Manny can fuck off. I love Manny. Yeah. I mean, and you can go back a while because Bonds also overlapped into the 80s. And if you look at the 80s, when Bonds started to make his start, yeah. it didn't take long for him to establish himself as the best outfielder in the game. No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, because Bonds, I think first year was Bonds' first year was what nineteen eighty seven, I believe. Yes, eighty seven, his rookie year. Yeah, so if you uh, no, it's eighty six. I'm sorry, but uh, eighty six, the best outfielders in baseball were probably Daryl Strawberry, Eric Davis, and Kirk Gibson. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Barry Bonds is significantly better than any of those guys. Absolutely, and he was a lot better than than them within two years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got this crazy number for you right here, man. War position players. So for those that don't know, war wins above replacement for position players. Barry Bonds, <laughs> first in the league for war, six, seven, eight, nine, 11 times in his 20-year career. 11 times. 9.7 wins above replacement, 7.9, 9.0. His highest went up to 11.9 wins above, aver- above replacement for one player. 12 wins. Yeah, it's... I mean, and, and just to explain the war stat a little bit more, the gauge is, if you were to put, take Barry Bonds out of your lineup and play a regular, uh, an, an established league regular player... An average, a league average player, right. Yeah, a league average player, not a minor league player or quadruple A player, a league average player, the difference is 9 to 11 wins. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, especially considering the fact that his opportunity to affect a game is three or four times in a game when he's at the bat. That's In his career, it's 162.4 wins above replacement. In his career, he's second all-time. Second all-time. 
that's amazing. Who's first? Oh, fuck. This man, now you're asking questions I don't have answers to. Ah. I can get that eventually. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take that one at some other time. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, for sure. But yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's just a, it's a, but then also going then, you go into the middle of his career. It's him and Junior. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is just, if, if he was just, could stay healthy, man. Ken Griffey Jr., this conversation wouldn't even be happening regardless of steroids or not. This conversation would have been well done and dusted. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to think. Mid-90s, actually. Ba- Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Sales. By, yeah. by less than a game. Which may, which is a bit ridiculous to me just because of the fact that what Ruth was doing when he did it was so much more eye-popping. I think in the I think Ruth in several seasons had more home runs than the next highest team. Yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. And you'll know Alex Rodriguez is number 12 on this list. Wow. This list is amazing. Who's who's number three? Willie Mays. I'll read yeah. you the top. I'll read you the top twelve. We'll get to a rod. It's Babe Ruth, Bonds, Mays, Cobb, Aaron, whoever Tris Speaker is. Tris Speaker was a second baseman for the Pirates in the early part of the twentieth century. Okay, well, Tris Speaker, then Honus Wagner, Stan Musial, Roger Hornsby, Ted Williams, and Eddie Collins before a rod. A rod is above Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, and my boy Ricky Henderson. Yeah. That's that's kind of amazing. Ricky was another guy who was also one of the better outfielders when Bonds made his made his entry. Into the now league. we could have a whole podcast about Ricky Henderson. Yeah, but we have to talk about Ricky only as Ricky Henderson well, yeah. in full terms. Absolutely, and you will refer to yourself as Justin Wells, and I am at Mandangulo that day. Yeah, exactly. Every everything in the third person. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, but I mean, if Bonds is in that kind of company, I, I think that even if you know, take take the steroid years out, he's still worst that's going to happen is what he drops to like fifth. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not ever going to happen. You're right, yeah. It, 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 it's amazing how, how good of a baseball player he is. And it's amazing that we've spent so long talking about Barry Bonds. Yeah, let's, 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 talk, let's talk about spring training because I can sense that you're growing more and more irate. <sighs> Man, I'm going to have to I – can't, I can't take enough showers to wash this dirty off of me. I feel like, like uh, Ace Ventura and, uh, in that shower scene. That's how I feel. So pitchers and catchers report at some point in the next two weeks – what 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 do you want to like? Who do you want to see in spring training, and what do you what do you, what are you interested in? You know, during this during the slate of exhibition baseball, of seeing you know, I want to see Scott, my, my new rotation. I want to see how the lefties do. I want to see Scott Casimir in a blue shirt. I want to see um, I I, I want to see the the, the the new Japanese pitcher. I, you know, for me, it's more the pitching that I like to see. I like to see where we're at as a staff um, and the young players. I want to see how Corey Seager's progressed for my Dodgers. I want to see how, how you know, Steven Matz for your Mets has progressed and how he's cemented himself in a major league role and, and how he's going to do. I think it's it's about the young players and see how they build year to year and the pitching. That's what I look most forward to in spring training. I'm actually going to try to get down to Arizona this year for spring training and and, and check that out. Yeah, so I, I kind of go the same way as you. Um, I, I really just get excited about seeing prospects break camp with different teams and see who actually you know gets a shot. Who doesn't go back down to AAA? No, for sure, man. I think that's exciting, and that's what the, that's what the non-roster invitees, all these players, people think that they have less of a chance. But when you get into the spring training, man, anything is possible. All you need is a foot in the door, and if you perform, then any team will be gladly to take you, man. Baseball is that type of way, and and you just need to be. It's kind of like the playoffs, spring training. If you're in a position that you're fighting for a spot, you just need to get hot and you'll make that roster. Yeah, I mean, there there have also been some guys in spring training who come out 
like a house on fire, go nuts through the first month, and then you never hear from them again. Yeah. And I love, I love those guys. Like you know, I, 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 it's time for a good Matt Joyce type story. No, for sure. I, 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 I can argue with that, man. It's good to see the names that you don't hear often. And whether it's good or bad, they come out hot and they don't continue it or they build on that. It's always good to see these young names or, or not even young, but these older talents that have been in the minors for a long time, obscure names, and they get their chance and they break in. That's always a feel-good story, man. People that plug away and it's just good. Like, I just love – I'm just excited that baseball's back, man. Fuck. So am I. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, here's another spring training-related question for you. Your pitcher goes out and gets rocked in the first two weeks. of the first two weeks. Do you take stock in that or not? No, I'm more concerned about uh, what he does at the end of spring training. I'm more, early on in spring training, I just want them to get innings. I just want them to build their arm strength. I want to see velocity increase week by week, that type of stuff. Uh, the, you know, you're going to get hit. Like you said, they're just early on in spring training too. You're working on command, your fastball, things like that. Big league hitters hit fastballs. It's what they do, you know. So I don't take a lot of stock in that, no. I, I, I'm assuming you don't either. I, I take none. Yeah, absolutely see? none. It's hard to. It's it's like a friendly. It's like a friendly uh, uh, soccer match, man. Nobody takes any credit in that. You just want to see what you got. You, you run the kids out there. You just see what you have, and then you call it a day. It's just you know going through the motions, really. But the later on you get, that's when it's crunch time, and that's when it starts to matter. You like to see sharpness. You like to see you know them working the counts and and and, and playing it as a meaningful game. I, I like that in the end too. So I, I actually like the entire cycle of spring training. Some people think it's redundant or it's too long or whatever. I I enjoy spring training yeah i also there, there's certain things about spring training that i'll always always that i'm always gonna just really really enjoy which is split squad games so i can watch two games on one day for or inning a few innings of each one of them just yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're all you know they're all day games and we we both work yeah, yeah yeah i like to get home though catch the end of whatever's on but yeah absolutely yeah and then i also like to see the mets play against the university of michigan which happens once a year Want to see how we stack up against college kids? It's always fun when you see the college kids rock these professional pitchers, and like people are totally. Sports Center makes a big deal about it that these kids who are hitting with metal bats and uh, have been in season probably for two weeks are going up against these professionals. And Sports Center loves to make a big deal about it. I find it hilarious. Oh, I think it's I think it's the, I think it's the best. But it's it's, great, it's just it's great, it's for, great the kids. for the kids. Yes, yeah. A lot of these guys are just you know. A lot of these guys are never going to even sniff minor league baseball. Exactly, so for them man. to, you know, for them to, you know, foul back a Clayton Kershaw curveball before he makes them look stupid. It's kind of fun for me. No, I agree. I agree. It's good for them. It's good experience, and and you know, it's just life experience. Fuck baseball experience for these people. For these kids, like you said, a lot of them don't have a chance. It's just something to go tell your kids about. You know what I mean? It's fantastic for them. Yeah. So. Give us give us a player you want to see that you're really really interested in seeing this spring. Young player, old player, just one guy. Uh, he's going to be for my Dodgers, and it's going to be uh, Kike Hernandez. He had a good season last year as a platoon guy, as a role, uh, as a guy that utility man that played a lot of positions for us. He kept Jock Peterson on the bench for some time. He took some time off of Howie Kendrick. I know we resigned Howie Kendrick, but I don't know how much time Howie Kendrick's really going to give us this season. I think Kike Hernandez is probably going to step into that second base role, if not. Uh, spell uh jock peterson jock peterson is another guy that i'm really excited for i know we saw what he's capable of last season uh we 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 saw him struggle a lot um 
I think it's his bounce back year. He's a player. He's a kid that seems to be very confident in himself and doesn't seem to get too down and, and has real life issues going on that, that baseball really doesn't seem to be the end all for him. So I do expect him to turn it around and really bear down and, and maybe shorten that swing and, 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 and get it together for my boys in blue. I really want this to be our year that we prove something. I don't care if we make it to the World Series. That's not what I want to do. I just want to prove to be more consistent. Prove to get be not so toothless in the playoffs. And I think that uh, Jock Peterson is going to be a big part of that, man. Yeah, plus I also love the fact that you guys have a rotation that's slightly further to left than Bernie. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, we stay left, man. Yeah. But uh, for me, it's for me, it's actually seeing Byron Buxton in Minnesota. Very inconsistent since he's you know since he got called up. Want to see if he can really put it together because that's a guy who's been talked about as a uh, as anything from a five tool stud to a fifth outfielder. And I'm interested to see what his real level is because it's he's running out of time and he was such a heralded prospect for such a long time. Yeah, man. But if he can figure it out and if he is everything they say he is, and he can figure that out with him and Miguel Sano, the Twins are onto something, my man. Yeah, they just got to learn to pitch. Yeah, well, they're the Rockies. They're the Rockies North. Yeah. But uh, I think that I think that's all we got on the agenda for the night. Um, I think uh, over the course of the next few weeks, we got the spring coming, so we're going to start coming to you guys with division-by-division division previews. And as always, any questions, tweet them at me, tweet them at Armada, tweet them at the podcast. And uh, we, we love input from other people because it gives us stuff to talk about besides the Mets and Dodgers. Yeah, man, this was a lot of fun because for that reason, we got a lot of input. I appreciate the input and the feedback from the people giving it to us. So if we could continue to get that, these pods could be more interactive and be what you guys want. We want to give you guys what you guys want because me and Justin can talk Mets Dodgers all day long and we have no problem with it. But if you guys are listening and want to listen to something more and, and get more in depth, by all means, that's what we want to do. We want to provide that for you guys. Yeah, and at one point this season, I want to get Angulo, uh, Angulo family feud. Oh, duh. A, a, a little Armando. Let's and do a it. Let, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Mets Dodgers sometime. Let's All do right. it. Let's do it. It's, it'll be a ton of fun. It'll be a ton of fun. Yeah, I'll even let you bring another Dodgers fan on as well. Oh. you know, so we can go tag team well, wrestling stuff. Oh, no, oh, yeah, I'll make it a family affair. I got enough of that. All right, good. All right, my man. But for that, for, for us here at 7th Inning Stretch, thank you guys so much for you, the listener, for Gags, for giving us this platform. Justin, thanks for talking to me, man. I really appreciate this, and I really love talking baseball with you, man. And I, I, I appreciate the relationship you and me build thanks to this podcast, man. Yeah, and you know what? We get to start, we get to start talking more often because baseball's back. Oh, thank God. Bye, everybody. Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.